You're going to want your Bible going, and, uh, and you can open up to Philippians chapter 2. And I, we have people walking around. If you need a Bible, you can slip up a hand, and uh, we will uh, get a Bible to you so you can follow along. So uh, we are going to be at the end of Philippians chapter 2 today. Uh, we're talking, looking at uh, these, these things that Paul has been commending to the church, a way of being, a way of living, uh, that his hope and his heart for this church that is embodied in these two names we get at the end of uh, Philippians chapter 2. Timothy, a true son in the faith, and Epaphroditus, a fellow brother and warrior in the faith. And so we're going to look at how we in our own lives need a Paul, a spiritual father, a spiritual mother in our life. We all need a Timothy, somebody that we are pouring into, spiritual sons and daughters, but we also all need our own Epaphroditus uh, ministering to us as, as brothers and sisters. And so I invite you to stand. We're going to read all of chapter 2 because it's important that we get the context, um, and then we will dig in and see what God might be speaking to us <clears throat> as a church family this morning. So Philippians 2 So If there's any encouragement in Christ Any comfort from his love Any participation in the spirit Any affection and sympathy Complete my joy By being of the same mind Having the same love Being in full accord And of one mind So do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the, the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself By taking the very form of a servant, being born in the likeness of mankind, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and even under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but even much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast, firm to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And so even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. 
But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And in fact, he was ill, even near to the point of death. But God had mercy on him. And, also, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now, I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. God's word. You may be seated. <clears throat> so I wanted to read that whole chapter because you, uh, it's easy sometimes to, um, to get lost in individual sentences and phrases, especially in a book like Philippians that has so many uh, like almost Christian cliches that, that often are even taken out of context. Uh, but we know them, you know, uh, you know, so I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? We've heard that, you know, so therefore I should be able to go score three touchdowns at next week's football game, right? <laughs> well, no, that's not exactly what Paul's talking about. And so, so wanting to, so we get to these two men, uh, Paul and, and Epaphroditus, or sorry, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and, uh, and to understand what, what Paul is saying, uh, commending about these men, we, we need to understand sort of his flow of thought. I recognize that as Paul is uh, most likely dictating this letter, uh, we know from other letters that he wrote that he had poor eyesight. In fact, he even considered that a point of weakness uh, that God would still use, that the fact that he can't see. At the end of one letter he even writes, he's like, look, I'm writing with my own handwriting. Isn't it sloppy? That's a rough translation, but his point was is that, like, that basically he's being led by the Spirit, speaking these words in uh, oral form to, uh, to a scribe who's writing it down. Then he would send that letter uh, by courier to somebody to, to take it where it needed to go. And so Paul, is, as he's speaking these words, as he's as praying for and thinking about this church that he planted 11 years ago, and now as he's sitting in chained in prison in Rome, and he's starting to hear that there's some conflict emerging in this, this young uh, uh, little congregation there, surrounded by the power of Rome, surrounded by the, the temptations and perversions of the culture, and that is beginning the pressure of, from the outside is beginning to create tension and dissension on the inside. And so his heart is, is hurting for his people. And so he's, he's writing this letter longing that they remember who they are in Christ, what Jesus has done for them. And his great longing is that they would come together and be unified in Jesus because he sees in them the power to release the gospel out into the Roman world just like they've been doing for the last 10 years as examples and models of sacrificial generosity and unconditional love. And, and he's seeing this, this, uh, the, the work of God as being threatened. And so he, he's calling them back to unity in Christ. 
And as he's, as, he's, as he's longing for them to be unified of one mind in Christ Jesus, he, he recognizes that the key to that kind of unity is humility, of them considering others as more valuable than themselves. Of thinking more about the needs of the people around them than their own longings and needs, recognizing that if we're all thinking about each other, we're all gonna get taken care of, amen? But if I'm only thinking about myself, odds are I'm actually not gonna get taken care of. You see how that works? And so, and so he's got this idea, this mind as he's speaking these prayers and these words that they'd be unified of one mind in Christ that, and knowing it's like this only comes as you lower yourself to lift up your brothers and sisters. And then, and then he thinks, oh man, it's like what, exactly what Jesus did for us. And he, and he speaks what's called the Christ hymn. One of the most, the, the highest examples of the, of the divinity of Jesus we have in Scripture. Now, most scholars believe that, that Paul wrote that Christ hymn there in Philippians 2. We don't know if this is the first time he's pinning these words and they're just flowing out of him, or if that's something that he'd, he, he, had, uh, he had said before, it'd become liturgy in the church. But this this calling to mind of Jesus, who in the very form of God, let go of his divinity to take the form of humanity, who became a servant and poured out his life even to the point of death, and not just any death, but the most gruesome form of torture that the Roman Empire could devise, even death on a cross. And doing so, it says God exalts him to the highest place that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He's, he's lifting up their eyes to Jesus the, who, who not just uh, declared a heart that we love and serve each other, but embodied it, modeled it better than anyone who's ever lived. Reminds us of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, so therefore who we are and what we are called to, the, the best way of life. And so, and they recognize that as they get the mind of Christ, that they are able to live together without grumbling, murmuring against each other, turning away from each other, without disputing this divisive argument uh, against one another, but, but coming around the reality of Jesus and the gospel and as he's speaking these things, he looks around and there's these two young men sitting next to him. And he's like, and these guys, they get it. The first one he talks about is Timothy. We know a lot about Timothy from other places in the Bible. We know that Timothy was just a young boy when Paul met him for the first time, that he, uh, that he had learned of the faith from his grandmother and his mother who had, uh, who had taught him the scriptures. And I always love that, to, just to, to call to mind any of you grandparents out there, the, the impact you can have on your grandchildren by your own faith and trust in Jesus. But, but he had learned it from, from, uh, from this generation before him. It's assumed that his, his dad was probably not a believer uh, because he, he doesn't get named and, and so he's growing up kind of in this divided home but, but Paul recognizes that there's something special about this young boy not just that he's hearing the scripture, receiving the scripture, but there's something in him. There's a giftedness that he can see in young Timothy and so he invites Timothy hey come alongside of me let me become a spiritual father to you 
And there's some of you that know the power of that. I know that personally in my life. There's some of you that, that may or may not have a, a relationship or a good relationship with your biological father. We don't know the dynamic between Timothy and his dad, if his dad was dead or gone or just uh, uh, had left the family. We don't know what's going on there. But we know that, that, that Paul steps in as a spiritual father to this young man, brings him alongside. Now remember in that culture, that uh, a father-son relationship was an apprentice relationship. And so you learned uh, at the feet of your father, the trade or the craft. If your father was a shepherd or a metal worker or a butcher or a baker, I mean, you, you sat and you learned from your father, watched his life so that you would carry that on into the next generation. You would become who your father is by learning from what your father does. And so that's the model. That's the mind that Paul, that, that Paul references in multiple places. Timothy, my son in the faith. And so Timothy get, comes along in Paul's journey in Acts 16. We learn about Timothy. And he's significant enough to get named Sorry, he's actually even, uh, he's from one of the, the towns that Paul had visited on his way to Philippi for the first time. And so Timothy is a part of that entourage that makes their way to Philip, uh, Philippi. Acts 16, they have all these amazing adventures together there and the church gets planted out of Lydia's house and uh, the jailer comes to faith and I mean, all kinds of cool stuff. But what's interesting is, after this invite to come alongside and be a part of this entourage is that Timothy's not named again in the rest of Acts 16. He's not mentioned in any of those stories of, of the miracles that happened in Philippi, but we know he's there. And so what's amazing is that he's, he's, uh, he's taking sort of this backseat position of, of watching and learning, of faithfully becoming a, a disciple in the model of Paul. Now, the reason I, I find that significant is I think a lot of times um, as, as young leaders emerge or as, as people discover their spiritual gifts, the expectation is that we should be elevated immediately to a place of prominence. And so I actually have had multiple conversations with young leaders that spoke at a camp or gave a testimony and they're like, man, you know what? I'm ready to preach. <laughs> like, let, me, let me, put me in coach. In fact, actually I have an experience similar. I had, um, I had uh, started working with an organization called Young Life. It's outreach into the high school campus and Young Life has these clubs and uh, these weekly meetings, usually in homes or in garages, uh, in, in neighborhoods. And uh, there's always fun and games, but at the end, they always give this gospel message, this talk. And this was in college. And at the time, I had uh, been involved in several camps. I had, you know, I had spoken in different places. And, and so I went to one of my first Young Life clubs. And uh, this other, this college kid, they, you know, all these fun and all these games and all this stuff happening. And then, and then uh, he gets up and, and he gives this talk and he honestly wasn't that good of a speaker and was super nervous and, you know, I mean, just kind of, you know, stuttered around things. And so at the end, uh, humble, gracious me, approached the team leader and was like, hey, listen, I've done this a time or two. <laughs> I wish this was a made-up story. This is a true story. And, uh, and, uh, and I said, you know, if you, if you, you know, need me to, to speak for y'all, I'm, I'm willing. 
And I remember her name was Caroline, and I remember her. Uh, um, she was just two year, a couple years older than me, and uh, and and she she turned, she looked at me, and she goes, "When you can name fifty kids by face and name at Riverside High School, then you can come and talk." That's a good word, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, but it, it stuck with me. That the heart of ministry wasn't going to get, be getting up on a, a platform or giving a talk. But, you know, in Young Life, the phrase is that, you know, no one really cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and so young Timothy is learning at Paul's feet. And, and ultimately, we know Timothy becomes a powerful church planner and pastor in his own right. But for years, faithfully walks out this calling, this gifting with Paul. Uh, saying this, it called to mind a story. I know I've told this before, but uh, when we were third, when I turned thirty, um, uh, a handful of my friends, all our birthdays were right within a week of each other, and so our wives had arranged for us to have kind of a, a special thirtieth birthday celebration, and so uh, they sent us skydiving, which I'm not sure what that says. Um, <laughs> I love you so much. Don't die. Uh, there's a lot of weird talk around life insurance on the way, but. <laughs> Anyway, so after the skydiving, we all went down, and uh, Buddy had this uh, place down at Grace Midtown, um, this little house there next to Georgia Tech, and we went and sat on the back porch. And they'd arranged for different older men to come and sit down with us, you know, 30 minutes, an hour at a time, and just speak words of life, words of blessing. We're becoming 30, entering into our 30s. What do we need to know? And uh, it was a really powerful time, but at one point, uh, one of my friends, uh, a guy named Aaron, is, uh, you know, does a lot of worship, and uh, he had gotten to know a lot of people in the worship world. Um, and he, uh, one of the guys that he had gotten to be friends with, it was at the time the number one Christian music artist uh, in the country. His, his songs were number one on Christian radio, was selling all the albums. Any Christian conference he went to was like the big name to be there. I mean, just like super famous, uh, just blowing up all over the place. And, um, and so he came and he was just sharing with us about, you know, entering into our 30s and, uh, and some things from his own experience. Well, it just so happened that his time kind of overlapped with Buddy. And Buddy was my uh, a mentor, pastor, founder of the Grace Churches, passed away a couple years ago. And uh, uh, older, wise guy. And he, uh, Buddy came, and we're all sitting around just telling stories and laughing. And I just remember at one point, this guy, uh, this worship guy, um, he, he was trying to tell a story, and he messed up like a, a verse that he was referencing. And he made a joke. He just said, he's like, oh, I don't know the Bible. That's you guys' job. Which, if you know Buddy, I mean, you couldn't have said a worse thing. <laughs> and he just, I mean, he honed in on that, and he was like, no, no, no. He's like, you're a worship leader. You better know the Bible better than anybody. And then he kind of leaned back. And there were these moments with Buddy, and it happened just a handful of times over the, the years that, uh, you know, he was a spiritual father to me. And so as I sat at his feet, I just watched these times that he would sit back and you knew, it was like, this, this was kind of in his posture, and he usually take his glasses off, and, uh, and he's like, okay, he's about to drop some bomb, uh, a spiritual bomb on us. So we're leaning in with our notes ready, our, you know, pins ready. And he, and he, but he looks this guy in the eyes, and he says, don't ever let your platform outgrow your character. Which we're like, ooh, that's good. You know, write that down. And then we went on, laughing and joking, telling stories. Well, uh, it wasn't a few months later that, uh, that it emerged that this worship leader was having an ongoing affair 
um, and it wrecked his marriage, wrecked his children, uh, totally undermined his ministry. He was taken off all the shelves, taken off all the radio stations, basically everything that had been built, the platform that he stood on was wiped away in a moment because his character couldn't contain the platform that he was given. And uh, in fact, so much so that 15 years later, um, most of you probably don't even know his name if I was to say it. And I say that, just that, that what Paul's heart was, what he models with these young leaders, with these young believers, uh, these men and women and, that surrounded him was, was that, that, they would, that they would faithfully walk out. I mean, almost the, the daily grind of what it means to follow Jesus. And that's the call for uh, all of us. The reality is that, yes, Timothy was called to be a pastor, uh, you know, to help pastor a church or to be a church planner, but every one of you has a significant gift for the sake of the kingdom. Good works that God has prepared in advance. And it doesn't matter if you're a plumber or a teacher or a shop owner or a stay-at-home mom or a preacher. Every one of us has a valuable gift to carry release for the sake of the gospel. What you have matters. But the, rea- but the reality is, is that that gifting emerges in the daily grind of faithfully following Jesus. And yes, we stumble and we fall and we make mistakes and we learn and we have those spiritual mothers and fathers around us to pick us back up and to point us along the way. And we learn from this relationship between Paul and Timothy is that we all need a Paul in our lives, amen? We all need a spiritual mother and father that is there to guide us, that when we struggle through every season of life and recognize that we are all rookies all the time. You do recognize that, right? Like just when you think that you're starting to get the hang of the teenage years, you go to college. And just when you think you're starting to get the hang of college, you start a job. And just when you think you're starting to figure out this, this 20-something thing, that you, you might get married, and then all of a sudden you're a total idiot. <laughs> and then you, right when you start to figure out this marriage thing, you have a baby, or you move to a different town, or you get a parent that's sick, or, or, you, or you have a loss and you grief. I mean, like none of our stories are the same, but every time we begin to get our feet under us, there's always something new God's inviting us into. Even parenting, right? Those of you that have had uh, like children that you've birthed these little babies and, and you finally start to figure out the rhythm of, you know, when they, they nurse and when they sleep and then all of a sudden all that just goes out the window because this little sack of poop now walks <laughs> and takes that poop with them. Right? And then they grow, and then they start to get their own opinions. How dare they? (laughs) To begin to think for themselves? Like they know anything? Amen? (laughs) Got the teenagers in the back. Hey, y'all are awesome. This does not apply to (laughs) y'all. 
But we are always in this process of learning. We need spiritual mothers and fathers. That is the gift of the church. And when Paul's imagining this church in Philippi, what he's saying is he's recognized coming them, calling them together. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. But then immediately goes to the people around us to help us move forward in that journey. We all need a Paul and Timothy. I mean, uh, uh, Paul, spiritual mother, father in our lives. And at the same time, as sons and daughters growing into spiritual mothers and fathers, and that may not be your own biological children. Oftentimes it's not. That could be a neighbor. That could be the kids on that JV football team. That could be uh, the, the second graders in your class. That could be the new employee that just joined your company. But we grow as sons and daughters into spiritual mothers and fathers. So yes, we all need a Paul, but we also are all being called to a Timothy to pour out our lives for the sake of others. Now what's interesting here in Philippi is recognizing that yes, as Paul blessed Timothy's life, here where, where Paul is sitting, it's actually Timothy that's pouring back into Paul. And I even think about those last days of Buddy as he, uh, in, in the last few weeks that he was alive and these young uh, men and women that he had invested in, invited to live in his basement and poured into us, believed in us, uh, taught us, rebuked us at times, uh, were the ones that sat around and held a blanket over him and got up to get him what he needed. And I imagine here Timothy sitting with Paul who had given everything for him and in just a small way blessing back his own spiritual father. It's a beautiful picture. And then he goes from, from this father-son relationship and he looks at this other young man, a guy named Epaphroditus, which is a fun name to say. And, uh, and he calls him, I mean, the, the titles that he gives, Epaphroditus, is, uh, I mean, this incredible... Um, uh, endorsement. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, and a fellow soldier. Someone who's like family to me, somebody who has labored with me, and somebody who has fought alongside of me. And just as we all need a Paul and we're all called to a Timothy, we all need an Epaphroditus. We need that brother or sister. That is the call of the church. Brothers and sisters with one father. And there are times in our lives that we need people to minister to us. That we are in, play, in, in our own prisons where we feel alone or scared, lost, confused or doubting. There's times in, in, in our own pain and we need healing. And we need God to just, uh, to just remind us that he's there. You've had those times, right? Now, what I've observed as, as a pastor for the last few years is that oftentimes when we most need each other are the times that we disappear and withdraw from each other. It's almost like there's this fear that if I'm really honest about my struggles and then you don't show up, or I might be, I might be too much of a burden, that phrase too much, have you ever thought that? 
if I'm really honest about where I am. But it's actually healing begins with honesty, and honesty begins with vulnerability. This morning, I, I don't know what it was, uh, God, as we were praying to close, God just laid it really heavy on my heart, this... Um, how often we can believe this lie that I should have figured it out by now. And I'm struggling and I'm lost and I'm confused and I have fresh doubts, but I'm a leader. I've been walking with Jesus for 15 years. I'm a dad, I'm a mom, I'm supposed to have it together and there's this fear that that somehow I'm less than because I'm still struggling after all these years or I have a fresh struggle or I'm hurting in a way or I feel really alone or really scared or I'm overwhelmed by worry. I, I shouldn't be that, I know the Bible over and over again, do not fear, do not fear, I'm with you, I'm with you. Okay, I know God, but why am I still so scared? And what's beautiful about this passage is we have Paul, the Apostle Paul, who is arguably the most influential Christian apart from Jesus that has ever lived, who says this, he was a minister to my needs, a comfort and an encouragement to me. We need each other. We need each other. And there are times that just as we, there are times that we need to be ministered to, that God positions us alongside of people to show up for them at their point of need. And the reality, and then I think sometimes we, we, we back off of that because we're afraid that we're not going to say the right thing, do the right thing. That, that I don't know enough or I might mess it up or, or, or what am I supposed to say? But the reality is it doesn't matter what you say. It matters that you show up. Yeah. It's that powerful ministry of presence and our role as brothers and sisters is that we stand alongside just like Epaphroditus did for Paul. We stand alongside of people in their pain and point them to Jesus. We just keep pointing them to Jesus. It makes me think about that story in Luke 5, actually it's in, in uh, all the Gospels, that those friends that know they have a, this, this friend that's paralyzed, and they, and they know that his only hope is if we can get him to Jesus. And so, so Jesus is there in town doing all these miracles and healing all these people, and, and, they, and they, they take their friend on a mat, and they try to get into the house where Jesus is, and it is so full that there's no room for them to get in, but they don't give up, do they? It's a great, beautiful passage that it says that finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. They simply laid their friend at the feet of Jesus. And then I love this line. And when he, Jesus, saw their faith, he turns and says, son, your sins are forgiven. We borrow each other's faith. Yeah. And there are times that I need your faith, and there's times that you need mine. You're not alone. And so we lean in into those places of pain, and it's not on you to fix anybody. You can't. You can't heal anyone. 
You can't change anyone. But Jesus can heal. Jesus can set free. Jesus is the one who forgives and releases and empowers. It's Jesus that we, that we need. Amen? And we just have the privilege of sitting with people. And we keep pointing to Jesus. And we keep pointing to Jesus. And we keep pointing to Jesus. Remember an exercise that, that we did a number of years ago um, when I was in seminary. And so here, just close your eyes and, uh, and just call to mind the 10 most influential, life-changing sermons that you've ever heard. And I expect at least eight of them to be me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just that message that just changed your life. Okay, now just call to mind the ten most influential life transforming people in your life. The ten people that have the greatest impact on you. Which is easier to come up with? I mean, maybe I don't, maybe some of you got ten sermons. Most of the time, you're starting to say two or three, right? But people, man, we know the people that have shown up for us. We know the people that have loved us well. We know the people that have been faithful in our lives, that have pointed us to Jesus. This weekend, I got to, uh, we're celebrating uh, Peter, who's about to become a dad, and uh, the group of, of his friends that went down, uh, went kayaking down the Broad River, and um, and a lot of that time, we just spent kind of slowly making our way down the river and just hearing, I got to hear a number of different stories. But what was amazing is how consistently in the stories, it was people that were at a low point in their life, at a place where they, their back was turned to God or where they were in a place of, uh, of even just outright rejection of God and that somebody showed up for them that pointed to Jesus and it changed their lives. And now this group of guys, I mean, some of those like humble, like just amazing guys. And you hear their stories, you're like, oh my gosh, that, that's your backstory? But people showed up. Think about for you, right? How often was this person that showed up in your life? I, I remember, I mean, I, I, I got all kinds of people that pointed me to Jesus, but I, I just remember like simple times. I think about when uh, we were pregnant with Eden and our first, our first child. And uh, a few months into pregnancy, Sadie woke up um, bleeding and uh, just panicked. And so we immediately rushed to the emergency room and uh, just waiting to, for the, the nurse to come and to do the ultrasound to figure out if this little baby was okay. And I just remember it was about two in the morning and uh, we're sitting there in the lobby waiting to be brought back. And who comes walking in the door but Jody, Buddy's wife. And she didn't say anything. She just sat down. Maybe she said something. I don't remember. 
but I do and will always remember her just sitting there with us at one of the scariest moments of our lives. And what a privilege it is that we get to show up and be that for others and what a privilege and a gift it is that we are invited into a community where people can show up for us. And the last I'll say about Epaphroditus, and then I want to just create some space to pray as we respond in worship. A few weeks ago, I got to hang out with a, a group of um, pastors that were from different parts of the country, and all of them just doing amazing things. Uh, uh, it was, we're wrestling through sort of, you know, how to engage the church in missions was the conversation. And um, but, but there's this one guy that was there, super cool guy, the, this massive church uh, and that's just planting other churches, launching churches, super involved in global missions and, um, and just kind of hearing his story. And, uh, and he asked me what we were preaching through. And I was like, oh, Philippians. And, uh, and he's like, oh, he's like, that book changed my life. And I was like, oh yeah. I was like, what, what part of it? Expecting like one of the, like the major sort of, uh, you know, high, you know, the high points of Philippians. And, uh, and he goes, Epaphroditus. And, uh, and we just started, you know, studying in it. You know, and I had to be like, wait, Epaphroditus. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, totally Epaphroditus. And, uh, and even as I was like reading it, like double checking, because honestly, like this is the part of Philippians that mentally it's easy to skip over, right? You get to the names, it's like, okay, get me some meat. And uh, not realizing that there's meat right there. And, um, and he was like, yeah. And he said, uh, uh, he said, when I was in seminary, um, I had, I was so excited about becoming a pastor and a preacher because I, he's like, I love preaching. I love teaching the Bible. I loved uh, sharing with others. And, uh, and I was sharing with a mentor, an older mentor, that I was so excited to graduate from seminary so I could start preaching. And, and I'm assuming he's probably a very gifted preacher, but, he, uh, but the mentors had stopped him and said, if you think that ministry is about preaching, then you're missing the whole point. And kind of left it there. And it said he really kind of shook him because in his mind, like, that's what it's about. That's what pastors do. They get up and preach. And, uh, and he said it was a, just a, a day later, he opened up the Bible to Philippians and God led him to this part about Epaphroditus. And here you have this, this man that's exalted in the, some of the highest language of scripture. And what did he do? He simply showed up for somebody at their place of pain. And that the highest call in ministry is when we show up for each other. And even so much so, now pay attention to this about Epaphroditus, even so much so that whatever happened, and we don't know this whole story, but what we do know is that Epaphroditus was from Philippi, had been sent from Philippi to Rome to minister to Paul. We know that Philippi had consistently given gifts to Paul in his ministry. They were the ones that when he was in Athens uh, making a living from making tents and to supplement his ministry, that they, they brought a gift from Macedonia, which, which is Philippi, uh, that he could focus full time on preaching the gospel. And so in a lot of ways, Philippians 
Corinthians is a thank you letter, a thank you support letter to the church in Philippi for supporting the ministry of Paul over all these years. And so not only though were they sending like financial gifts to Paul and even so much they weren't a rich church. Paul will also say that out of your poverty you gave in abundance and, and that they were consistently giving to support the ministry that, was, that God was doing through Paul and his team. But at the same time they were sending people to bless and care for Paul. And so Epaphroditus was one that we can presume took the gift of the Philippians to Paul and also was their minister to Paul's need. And so Paul, when he says that he completed what you weren't able to do, isn't giving a slight to Philippi. He's basically just saying that he was the fulfillment of your gift to me. And that somehow as he sat next to Paul, sitting in that Roman prison cell with the assumption that he was going to be executed any day, which put his own life at risk for associating with Paul, that somehow, whatever the conditions were, that he ends up sick. And not just sick, but sick, and the Bible's really clear, strong language there, sick to the point of death. He was on the verge of death. And yet even Epaphroditus, who had left his family and friends, made that long journey to Rome, sat with Paul in prison and endured that hardship, and then now is sick and dying, what does it say is Epaphroditus' primary concern? His friends and family back home. That even at his lowest point, his thoughts are for those around him. And so it makes sense that Paul, exhorting the church, consider others as more significant than yourselves, would then say, now here's one. Here's one that lived it in every way. And I'm going to send him back to you so that you'll be encouraged, that your hearts will be strengthened. And I just wonder this morning... Where are the places that we need an Epaphroditus to show up for us? And where are the places that God has positioned you to show up like an Epaphroditus for somebody else? And sometimes those weave in and out of each other. But the invitation... is that we just be honest with God and with each other about where we are and our struggles and our pain and fear and loneliness, the places we need to be healed, the places that we feel like we're trapped, the places that we worry and are concerned. So I invite you just to, to close your eyes. And if you're willing, just let Jesus search your heart. Is there a place right now in your life that you need Jesus to minister to you? a place that you're scared anxious is there a place that you're hurting 
or grieving. Is there a place that you're confused or doubting? And I know I don't ever do this. But I'm going to ask if that's you, if you're willing, to just raise your hand. To just be honest. I need Jesus to minister to me. Thank you for the courage to raise your hands. And I'm going to ask our our elders, our prayer team, really any of you, or you see a hand raised, will you just go put your arms around that shoulder and just whisper a prayer? We could just even this morning just be present with each other. So I'm gonna ask our prayer team, our leaders to just stand and find, find those hands. Thank you for the courage to be honest with where you are. you just keep your hand raised if that's not if, if if someone hasn't found you yet and if that's not you if you're willing just ask God to bring to mind is there anyone that he's positioned you to come alongside to just be present with remind that they're not alone to pray for who is that person that God has placed you alongside or called you to go to whether it's a long journey or across the street we all need a Paul called to a Timothy but we always need an Epaphroditus we continue this time to just minister to each other to pray for each other if God gives you a word of encouragement for somebody I encourage you just to get up and just go to them maybe it's not a word it's just a hug I see you you're not alone And we're going to worship together and we open up communion, the common table, one loaf, one body given for all. And we remember the presence of Jesus for us, who we're called to embody as the living body of Christ. And so as we take communion and we dip that bread in that cup, as Jesus said, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins setting us free to make us whole to restore us in relationship with our Lord God as we take remember the forgiveness of God we remember we don't take it alone 
It is that forgiveness that allows us to turn and to forgive one another. So even as we take communion together, I encourage you, pray for each other, forgive each other, encourage each other. Let's worship God together.